by 2025, 50% of all luxury goods sold worldwide will be bought by Chinese consumers. I'm going to say that again because it's super important if you produce or sell luxury British goods. By 2025, 50% of all luxury goods sold worldwide will be bought by Chinese consumers. Are you a luxury British brand? Have you got a China strategy? No? Well, listening to this episode of UK Export Advice might just be the best 30 minutes you ever invest in your business. My name is David James, and in this episode, I'm talking to Tom Griffiths, Commercial Director of Verb China. Tom has a black belt in luxury branding for the Chinese market, and Verb China are the grand masters of getting British luxury brands successfully into China. So I'm going to shut up so we can get on with the important part of listening to Tom. Oh, and as a quick aside, if you'd like me to make a podcast or videos for your business, drop me a line on david at brighthorngroup.com. That's david at brighthorngroup.com or look me up on LinkedIn. I also make videos in Chinese too, if you're serious about getting into China. Now let's hear from Tom. So Tom... We're talking about China. The part of the reason that I started doing this series of podcasts around China was about uh, coronavirus. I've been interested in China anyway, just the scale of the market. And I've done some interesting interviews with people talking about Chinese innovation and the way consumers are changing, etc. Um, but what, what's drawn me back to China was the, was the whole concept of of coronavirus and that China's coming out or come out of the first wave, at least, of coronavirus. Uh, and I just had in the back of my mind, is this a market that we need to, to look at? And so we connected on LinkedIn and we had a, a chat about Verb. And it sounds really interesting that you, you're helping British brands sell luxury goods into China. So t- tell me more about Verb, how it, what it is, how it works uh, and what you do that helps British brands sell to China. Sure thing. So um Verb China is is my apartment in Verb. So Verb is a um, a larger digital marketing agency that specialises in luxury. They um they you know they they've worked with a large number of European and British luxury brands and uh, some in America as well now and uh, launched an office in America recently. Um, and they specialise specifically in helping luxury brands navigate digital from a luxury perspective. So often I see uh, digital as as and it's an interesting sales channel. It's an interesting route to market, but it is so often a race to the bottom. It's a it's the the fight to provide the the cheapest product or the the quickest delivery time, the easiest returns, all of those kinds of things, which eat into margins quite heavily. And so it works very very well for a high volume, low margin product, but that's the complete opposite of luxury. And so luxury requires requires quite a nuanced business model when going into digital and to do digital well and then luxury also uh, requires a large amount of brand protection uh, so the, the typical kind of tactics that you see in digital the, the, the adverts that follow people around the internet and all those those styles just don't work with luxury that that hampers brand uh, brand value and, and brand value for so many luxury brands is, is everything it's so important it's it's how they can uh, charge the premiums that they do and so verb has been around for about six or seven years um and then up until recently they uh they just 
that have been looking at the Chinese market, as of course everyone has these days. Um, and then they decided, you know what, we we do need to do this seriously. We need to we need to open a China team. We need to do this. Um, and they're casting around on how to do this, um, how they're best going to make China work for them and make China work for their clients. Um, and then I came into the picture. I uh, they contacted me, and uh, together with Verb, I launched Verb China, which is a whole separate enterprise, um, but within the kind of the Verb group. And so we, yeah, we we take Chinese brands to market. I've been in the industry myself now for uh, about eight years, I think, eight, nine years. I, I don't know. I lose lose count. Um, uh, helping British brands launch into China. I've launched a huge number of quite big, well-known brands whilst at various different agencies. Um, and I always thought that I, there's there's kind of a space for what we do at Verb, which is slightly different compared to the other agencies. And it's my own my own feelings and and belief and philosophy and how marketing should work uh that sounds a bit deep i know but it's (laughs) it's a slightly different way of doing things than most agencies and that it's partly based on the fact that i um i think the most agencies tend to sell china uh in a in a very mysterious way and so china is this big big opportunity it's an enormous opportunity but it's one that is so often kind of presented as too difficult for most brands to do and so you have to go through one of these gatekeeper agencies that that operate almost as a black box they take the inputs and they give you outputs and that's it uh yeah i don't think that works i don't think that works long term for brands and it certainly doesn't work for luxury brands who require a a, you know a specialization of of the understanding of the brand nuance and what makes uh, Harrods different from Selfridge is different from Harvey Nichols. Those, those little, those well, not little. Those very big things within the brand, but those very important things to get right and to make sure that any other market they're handled correctly. And so, so I I I prefer well other agencies in my field uh, prefer to kind of take things over and do things themselves. I quite like working with brands. I sit here in London most of my time to sit with the headquarters of brands. With, uh, with the you know the executive team to make sure that we do get it right and that they know what's going on in the market as well that it helps them kind of understand what we're doing for them how it's all working and why it's working or why it's not conversely and so just make sure that we we keep things keep keep both sides involved now there's I, I can see there's a there's a whole list of complete podcast episodes we could do just on what you've <laughs> said there. Uh, the first one, then, uh, let me, um, here's an opportunity to, um, I, I don't know if uh, New Zealanders or anything like Brits, uh, not great at blowing our own trumpets, but you, you're going to have to a little bit. How come you know how to sell luxury brands into China better than anybody else? Because, like you say, it's it's quite an opaque market. We don't really understand it very well. And the people that have looked at launching into China know that the history of failed brands is quite long. How come you're so good at it? Uh, well, I, I guess right place, right time to a certain degree. I do speak Mandarin. So I, I lived in China for a while. Um, I learned Chinese at university and uh, then moved out there for a while and <laughs> continued on. I thought I was going to be an academic for a while and uh, was doing a PhD in Ming Dynasty travel writing um, before moving into the marketing and branding world. Uh, yeah, I, so I've, we're not great, us New Zealanders, I guess, at, at really blowing our own trumpets, but here we go, I'll give it a try. Um, 
I've worked at a number of different agencies and well at those different agencies, I've launched some of Britain's biggest and oldest brands uh, into the market and helped them grow. I have worked on the, the specific nuances of how a British brand works in the market. And specifically, I think my position in understanding British brands, mostly from an insider, but slightly as an outsider, as you say, I'm a Kiwi, um, understanding British brands and seeing what works here and then living in China and, and knowing Chinese so, you know, so intimately, family are in China right now. I Well, family, in my in-laws, I'm married to a Chinese uh, lady and yeah, that's, you know, <laughs> I'm there all the time living in that respect, um, though also split between London as well. But then taking British brands into market for me is is really about ensuring that you you kind of meet the market some of the way towards the brand. But this kind of gets onto my branding philosophy a bit rather than me. So I'm not very good at talking about myself, it seems. <laughs> do, you want, do you want some help? Shall I ask you some questions? So Yeah, maybe. Um <laughs> So okay, you've got a track record. You've done this before. You're 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 good at it, even if you don't like to say so yourself. And um, I'm, well, so, one of the things I am trying to do is avoid saying the names of companies that I've worked at at previous, like client clients that I've had at previous companies, um, just because it's you know it's the work that I've done well at their agency. Sure. No. 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 Absolutely. So I guess there's there's two questions I can I can see immediately. The first one is. What, I mean, I guess most people that work in marketing luxury brands online and offline have already grappled with this and understand it. I don't come from that background. So just more briefly on this one, what is it that makes a luxury brand do well online versus those that really fall into, you know, and I just from what you said, I can instantly see that if your website looks like Amazon, people are going to have an Amazon mindset when they buy it and they're expecting it's got to come tomorrow and it's all about convenience. Whereas, you know, you go and buy the luxury brand from the high street, you go into the plush store and you get looked after and there's nice music and smells and everything's exquisitely laid out. How do we do that well online generally? And then I guess the more important question is specifically... How do we do that in China? Sure. Um, yeah, like it's an interesting problem, as you say. There, there are so many. There are marketplaces that uh, online that, if you emulate the success of, it's not going to be the same. For you know, a Burberry store down in the High Street here, um, or not in High Street, a Burberry store in Regent Street doesn't have the same checkout as you would find at Zara, and yet online because of the, the push towards, you know, user experience design and how everything is kind of the same to a certain degree online. Uh, the Burberry store online might well, I, should, I haven't checked this, but might well have the same checkout as Zara. And it's, a, it's an interesting problem because you lose a lot of that brand experience in the, uh, in the checkout and in the buying, buying side. And so what you need to do is you need to make that up in other elements and other areas of the digital experience. And so a lot of that's around good storytelling and a lot of that's around uh, finely crafted messaging and assets and and just working with what you've got. Everything down to, um, 
I don't know, things like performance advertising. Everyone does it. Uh, so many adverts will chase you around the internet. Uh, if you looked at something once and then looking a week later on a completely separate website and there's an advert for that product that you looked at, it can feel a little invasive and a little, uh, a little worrying, a little kind of nerve wracking. And so those kind of really heavily retargeted adverts don't work well for luxury because again, you don't want to feel like you're being hounded by a luxury good. And so there's all these, these interesting nuances that you have to be careful of when working with a luxury brand. And so then going into China, uh, that compounds with the added issue of the platforms are very different and the execution can be somewhat different as well. Ultimately, though, um, I mean, so one of the things I'm, I'm, I'm going to be kind of wary of whilst talking about this, and we can get a little bit into this uh, another time when we talk about branding, but I, I'm wary of like mystifying China too much. I know that lots of agencies out there like to mystify China and it, it, it become a very it be set up as a very difficult thing to do that's not what i'm interested in at all i don't i don't believe that's the case chinese people ultimately are people um food family sex security those are the the kind of the the core drives behind everyone on this earth and chinese people are no different in that respects and so quite a lot of the similar tactics will work there is here um but it's about the slight tweaks to execution to make sure that they work correctly and so that's that's really where um where I'm interested in and then tying that with the expertise that the wider verb group have with uh, dealing with luxury brands online is, is how we kind of gel this together quite well. Okay. So let's talk about the, the customer journey as in a, your customer as a luxury brand in Britain, they're obviously very successful in Britain. They've got bricks and mortar stores almost certainly, and they've got an online presence which is either doing fabulously or is just augmenting the bricks and mortar or is you know like you say trying to fight not to look like yet another online supermarket shoppy thing that just blends in with everybody else so there's there's my customer there's your customer and they come and approach verb china and say we want to do this china thing just just talk me through the the process i guess from from those initial exploratory conversations to getting to the launch and, and maybe I don't want to go right through to the end of a, a, a life cycle but you know perhaps where you're tweaking things now that could be obviously a very long answer so uh, uh, break it up as, <laughs> as you see fit but uh, just give, sure. me, give me a give me a canter through as best you can okay so all I mean all kind of strategies market launch strategies start with uh a quick look, well, not a quick look, a bit of a deep dive into how well the brand is already doing in China. And so it's it's important to understand if if there's a big audience there or not. If there's not, of course, we have to build one. If there's already a bit of a buzz, a bit of a, a bit of an audience there, then it's starting to look at how best to capture that audience and convert on sales. Um, building buzz in China, uh, let's, you know, let's take an example of a, a brand that that's is quite small here. Does have bricks and mortar. Does have a bit of a presence. Is established here. Doing all right. Uh, hasn't really looked overseas. Looked a little bit in the west, but uh, in in the US maybe. But has decided no. Let's 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 go for China instead. I mean, just recently, Bain and Co said that uh, China is going to be fifty percent of the world's luxury spend by twenty twenty five. So you know, half of all luxury spend is going to be there. That would be 
China should be the priority for most brands these days. Um, so anyway, smallish brand. Don't have a huge marketing budget, um, but do have some budget. So lots of agencies will lean in with, right, go with KOLs, go with, uh, go with, uh, go with advertising spend and build your audience first and then start selling in China, open, uh, open on the marketplace, open on Tmall or Taobao, uh, not Taobao, Tmall or JD or one of those, those kind of luxury markets places there and, um, and take it from there. That makes sense in the sense that you want to build buzz first and you want to then open a localized sales channel. I wouldn't go in straight with a localized sales channel without building buzz first. A, you can't test the market at all. You don't know what products are going to be working or what's not. And B, it's going to be a lot more expensive. Um, to open a marketplace store does require work with a third party. And those third parties will charge you a percent of your sales. If you've already got a, a bit of a buzz behind you, if, if you look like an attractive client for them, you're going to get that cheaper. And so it, it actually long-term works out cheaper to make sure that you do your uh, a, a bit of buzz building, a bit of brand building up front before you go in. Brand building wise, um, so many digital marketing agencies these days, uh, the success of a campaign that they run is purely a function on the budget that they spend. And it's a bit, uh, to be honest, as a, a, a like someone who's who comes from a somewhat creative background, it's a bit of a disappointment to see that so many of my my colleagues will just the first question will be, so how much you got to spend, which I don't think is right. Um, I don't think it's in, a, a clever way of going in the market long term. It is a quick way, but just spending it, you know, fifty thousand pounds on a a couple of influencers posting about your brand, you know, or, or, or getting your handbag worn by the right person at the right time, fine, that's, you know, that is a strategy. It's, it's an expensive strategy and not all brands have that kind of budget. And so there are other ways to do it that ensure that there's, there's some kind of return on this investment immediately. Um, small tweaks to a website that can be made or other, other ways around it to ensure that you're, you've got some sales coming in and then building through different networks is, is what I've been advising recently, building through, um, through affiliates, through through other sales channels in the market to make sure that you've, you're building a baseline of awareness of your brand before looking into the, um, the serious investment kind of six to 12 months down the line. Okay, so there's opportunities to be building buzz and testing the market with genuine sales, even if they're not massively profitable sales. They're, they're, they're sales which say, because I guess that's, that's a big difference, isn't it? It's like... Uh, we we all learned the hard way that uh, clicks and likes and all the rest of it is not the measure of success. The measure of success is either sales or brand equity or or, or whatever. So, quite. Um, yeah. Just talk about, I guess, what is it that differentiates Verb? Do you think? I mean, you, you've obviously set your stall out, and and your your positioning in the market is is luxury. There's a few market entry specialists in the UK helping British brands get into China. What 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 do you think separates Verb from the from the rest of the pack? I think what really separates us from everyone else is the fact that we 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 want to work with a brand, and um, I think success comes from working very very closely with a brand, with a team from the brand, with the you know the brand director or the brand manager, so someone in the brand who understands and knows that brand well, and is 
is comfortable with kind of rolling their sleeves up and learning a little bit about uh, about this new market, about like, you know, we're going to take them on that journey with us. We're, we're not about this sort of black box. Oh, China's very tricky, so just leave it to us and we'll do it all. I don't think that is, yeah, that just doesn't work long term for us. I don't think it's a sensible move. And so for us, it's it, a, a lot of it's about high touch work with the client. We're there to kind of help the client see the market, help them understand it, and help their business grow at the same time. Um, it's funny, like I, I, I've, I've spoken with a lot of, you know, brand directors and uh, chief marketing officers and, and people who, you know, senior people at large brands that really should know better, who when I ask them, oh, so, you know, how how's everything going in China with you guys? I, I get a blank stare and a response. Well, I think, I don't really know. Um, you know, they'll see figures, facts, numbers and, Stuff like that, but the number of brand directors or chief marketing officers I've seen that don't know what an advert looks like in China that they've signed off, that they've okay, that's from their brand, that like they don't have a handle on how things are actually going on, what what's going on on the ground, how things are actually being executed in their name. Uh, it's quite concerning. It's, it's fairly worrying, and it, it it just yeah, a lot of it's left a lot of companies. A lot of, uh, particularly in the fashion space, but in other um, other luxury industries as well, to look at China purely as a sales channel and, and not much more. It doesn't seem to be um, brand directors rolling their sleeves up and getting involved all that much. There are, like, there's definitely exceptions. This is not a hard and fast rule, but it, it has surprised me for such an important market how little attention gets paid to it, whereas more attention gets paid, it seems, to Milan or or much smaller markets uh, in Europe. So yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting case in, in that respect. And I think what I want to do is is you know ultimately help shift uh, help shape Chinese uh, consumers' perceptions of British brands, but help shape the people who work in British brands' perceptions of the Chinese market as well. And and kind of work in between the two of those, ensuring that. That both sides get a little bit out of, um, oh, get a lot out of out of our work with them. Yeah, I, I I understand it though from from those senior brand personnel at, at a company because from the West, China is so opaque. You know, we we're not yeah. seeing. I mean, TikTok. Uh, every time I go on YouTube now, TikTok adverts, bang, 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 TikTok, TikTok, TikTok. You know, it's just all over the place. And uh, Huawei have have come in, and we know who Huawei is. And I'm trying to think of other Chinese brands that we know, but it's not like Germany, where Mercedes Benz or Bosch or Siemens or these other other markets. And we don't go to China on holiday, many of us. Yeah. I mean, we you know most of us have been to Europe and we kind of know where Germany is and we, we've got our own stereotypical views of these countries, even if we've never been. But China's really opaque, I think, because we're not really consuming Chinese culture or other than the kind of food that people call Chinese food here, which every time I talk to somebody who's lived in China goes, Look, you give that to a Chinese person, they're going to really think you've you've gone crazy saying it's Chinese food. Um, so I, 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 and the language and the fact the internet dif- is different and the politics are different and the economy is different and everything's different. 
you know, Britain used to be a very outward going, seafaring, trading nation, but we've we've got really focused on the UK. We we even though we've had free trade with Europe, we kind of only dabble there occasionally. We're much more comfortable in the US because we keep watching US films and have a sense of what US culture is about. We feel comfortable going to the US, I guess. Yeah. No, with- I, I, I I see that problem. It's it, it's interesting. Like it's it's one of those things that, um, I. In high school, I learned Japanese, and uh, at university, I learned Chinese. Um, they're the only two foreign languages that I've ever really got to a stage where I can be on the street and hear someone and overhear someone talking and kind of just understand what they're talking about. Um, and it's one of those kind of weird things that you spend years slaving away over textbooks and things, learning about another language. You think, oh, I'm going to get some amazing insight to what's going on here. And you find as you walk around the street, People's conversations are very similar. <laughs> you know, we're talking about the price of something or a meal they've just had or what they plan to do later on. And, and it, yeah, I, I think one of the both kind of reassuring things of the world, but also one of the things that's a, a slight letdown at times is that, yeah, everyone is very, very similar to a certain degree. People are very similar. And, and yes, I agree there's some cosme- there's the large cosmetic differences with China in the sense that... Uh, Different language, true. Different internet, that's, you know, that's mostly true. Um, the Chinese internet is, well, there are different companies and, and they operate in slightly different ways. They're still recognizable. Um, and so TikTok, TikTok's a great example, actually. Uh, there's loads of brands on TikTok these days that have taken to it really well. And I I've, I know a lot of uh, kind of social media experts who have, over the last six months to 12 months, just become experts in TikTok. Just, you know, put their shoulder down, open up their apps, just learn how to do it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's doable and it's doable with the Chinese platforms as well. Again, it's they're recognizable. They're just uh, got slightly different tweaks to execution of it. Um, there are still e-commerce platforms. There are still social media platforms. There are still messaging apps. There are, you know, they're cosmetic differences, I feel, rather than, rather than really core differences to the essence of things. And, and once, once these kind of these things have been explained to you and you've, you've sat around for half a day to a day having a little play with them, yeah, there you go, away, away and off you go. And so I think there's, there's an element of um, the initial impetus of just like having someone sit beside you, show you how it works a little bit and then off you go is, is what it takes a lot of the time. That's, that's all it takes. It's a very simple little, a little push, a little, a little nudge in the right direction. And for, you know, a willing party has to be ready to accept that that kind of thing. But um, I do take what you mean that that Europe's always seen like a closer market. But um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Yeah, no, I think actually it it comes back to what you were saying earlier that China is seen as is very opaque, very difficult, or, or made to look that way by other mm. agencies, and you have to go no through way. their black box to make it simple. And yeah. I think. I suppose part of the problem is those people that understand that China is actually not that complicated or that the the WeChat or, or whatever is actually fairly straightforward to get your head around are the people that as soon as they've learned that Ooh, this is a useful little thing, that they're going to be charging people a consultancy fee because everybody sees the opportunity that China is and nobody wants to give it away for free. So I guess there's an element of that. But the question I was going to ask you, earlier when I, I kind of had a big ramble on about uh, what I thought rather than asking what you thought was 
if China is going to be 50% of the luxury spend by 2025, no luxury brand should be ignoring it. Mm-hmm. What internally do businesses need to be thinking about and doing in terms of their forecasting? You know, in, in terms of if you're going to go, okay, we need to set aside some budget to set up a China desk department, whatever. How serious do people need to take China and, and what might it look like inside a brand, how they need to adapt, evolve, or go through some sort of revolution? Yeah, I mean, great question. It's, um, earlier this year, I was speaking at the, the British Fashion Council on just this. I was trying to I, talk about ways that brands that don't have, say, the budget of Burberry go into the market and how, how they can make the best of it. And so at the very top, you've got the big, the big players, the LVMHs of the world. Um, and they, you know, they spend millions a month to get their, their audience. And China, um, though China is the largest luxury market and soon to be even larger, it is still a very expensive market to operate in. It does cost a lot because there are so many other brands there that, you know, the signal versus noise, no, the, the share of voice to get any kind of share of voice in that market is enormously difficult because there is so much going on. Wandering around the streets of Shanghai these days is an assault on the senses when it comes to advertising. You are quite literally bombarded with advertising everywhere you go. Um, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge for marketers. It's an interesting challenge, but it's a challenge for marketers to try and cut through in that market. Um, and one way is spend, just spend, outspend everyone else, like blanket the city, blanket the country with your adverts. And some of the big brands find it worthwhile to do so because they're, they are earning just quite so much from the market. It still makes sense for them to, to do that. Um, for other brands, for smaller brands, um, and even for medium-sized brands, to be honest, uh, you have to be a little, uh, quite a lot more strategic, quite a lot more intelligent. Um, launching on Tmall, and, you know, in the first year, you, could, you should probably be putting aside £100,000 just to set everything up and get it all kind of working. And then at least that again in advertising, if you, if you want to really push that through, it's not counting any returns at that stage. Um, I, like, a lot of brands shouldn't really be looking to take returns out from Tmall for the first year or so uh, because of all these, these, these kind of issues stopping you. However, there's there's other ways into the market as well. There are, um, there are other channels that you can set up to do sales. There are ways to start building your own channels up in the market anyway that are, are very low risk and low cost. Um, and also interesting ways. So I, I was um, having a chat with some friends recently about a strategy on reaching Chinese users through Instagram. So Instagram is blocked in China. It's not not available uh, for the average person. However, there's quite a few very uh, like internationally minded users of Instagram in the market and they, they access it through a VPN. It's a bit of the kind of unknown channel of China, a hidden channel of China that is a way to reach particularly influential people on Chinese social media who may have much smaller followings on Instagram, but mainly use Instagram as their research tool in themselves. So um, we did a little project where we uh, we took a number of influencers who have huge, you know, many millions of followers in China, looked at their Instagram accounts, looked at who they were following. So kind of taking that a step attached, who influences the influencers, and then had a targeted policy to work with 
those Instagram influencers. So it's a little convoluted if I don't have a diagram to show you problems of podcasting. Um, but taking that step back and working with smaller accounts in the West on Instagram to eventually get through to China did work in an interesting way. It started building a bit of a bit of a, a kind of underground buzz around a um, a brand that filtered out quite well and and reflected quite well in the success that we had with eventually talking to the um, the main influencers in China and getting them on board with the brand and and getting them talking about the brand successfully. Wonderful. Now I'm I'm mindful brand, about sorry. about time a little bit. Um, so we're going to talk more specifically in the next episode. We're going to talk about brand building in China and really how to translate a brand from British to Chinese. And we're not just talking about language, but just as almost as a little bit the tease of that. How is British luxury viewed in in China? We kind of get the impression that the Chinese like. British luxury brands. What's what's the reality? Are, are they into British luxury brands? Yeah, I mean, Britain has has a real heritage feel to it in China. Um, I think there are Britain, and you know, is, is kind of viewed as part of Europe in that respect. It's, it's you know, it's the the craftsmen of Europe history to it all. Um, there are elements to. Britain that are better known in the market. So Britain is, is, of course, better known for education. It's probably the strongest brand Britain in the market is is our, our education services. But within luxury, um, yes, there are important elements to it. There, there tends to be a little bit of a, a kind of twee, a sort of tweediness to some of the British brands that do well in China. Um, and that's a little bit kind of mass market designed to to appeal to everyone but there are there's there is an understanding of nuance there um london in particular like the 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 kind of concept of london as a this kind of big metropolis this cosmopolitan city um does help and for some that understanding of the history of london's uh like fashion and design past can be quite attractive so that that gets us thankfully away from a little bit of the 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 tweed image that you can sometimes see amongst british brands um and so the kind of the history through punk and through uh through like the different eras of design right up into modern east london culture that you yeah that does kind of shine through a little bit but then those nuances can sometimes get lost and can sometimes be a little overexpected and so Getting getting that balance right, getting that balance of uh, of ensuring that you are presenting a, a good image of, of the original brand without going too far into the local cultures is really important, and that's that's where I think we re- what we really do best with a lot of our clients. And so that's um, thoroughly looking forward to talking about that next episode. Wonderful. So just give us the best way of getting hold of verb china yourself or finding out more about the market what are, what's the best way of getting in touch what's our next step if we're interested in getting into china with verb as a potential partner sure um well you can just drop me an email i'm at tom at verbchina.com that's fine just hit, hit us up there i, I mean our website verbchina.com there's a um a form to fill in if you want to drop some but you can equally just drop me a line directly i'm happy with that Tom, thank you very much for your time. It's been fascinating. Yes, thanks, David. 
My name is David James, and I'd just like to say a big thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of UK Export Advice. Please do let others know about the podcast, and why not also check out the Midlands Export Podcast, which I produce for the Department for International Trade. If you would like me to produce a podcast or video for your organisation, please do get in touch via LinkedIn or email me on david at brighthorngroup.com. That's david at bright as in star, horn as in trumpet, group.com. Thanks again for listening and good luck with all your endeavours.